Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with you. Back closer here. I just want to take a second. I was I was just thinking about as we celebrate the Walters being with us and placing membership. Um, it, those moments, I don't want to just rush past them. Those moments remind me of, of the kind of thing that happens if you go to a wedding and you're married. When you're experiencing the joy of a new couple coming together and making that connection, it's often in time for us to remember our own commitments. So I think it's helpful just, just really quickly to say, as we celebrate those placing membership with us, we don't just throw that language around quickly. That's a biblical word. We are members one to another in the spiritual community. And so what membership means in this place is that you belong, but also that you're offering your gifts, and we receive them. As you guys come in here, we receive your gifts, and then we want to offer those back to you. So let's just think about that, and I think it's beautiful. It fits exactly what Seth was talking about. If you have the giftedness to, uh, to, to speak into and to help in some way serve in, uh, in our children's ministry, please do that. But let's just remember that commitment to membership means something. You, a foot doesn't just hang on the body and do nothing if it's healthy. And so when we come into membership, we come offering our gifts and we come to receive them. So we celebrate with you guys coming. Andrew and Kayla will give uh, Ethan Brooks a little time to grow into their giftedness, okay? So we'll, we'll let them grow on that one. But thank you. I'm glad you're here. Um, also, I was going to say this to him individually. I was just going to say this to everybody. Uh, you know, I've been sitting in the last several weeks in our Faith Path class that uh, Monty and Jenny have put together. If you are parents of children uh, from, you know, from, from our children's ministry up to our youth group, and you haven't availed yourself of this, this is not an extra commercial time, this is not an extra announcement time, I just want to encourage you, it's incredible. Incredibly practical tools and wisdom to help you walk out the faith path with your kids. So if you haven't taken a chance to do that, I want to encourage you to do that. It was an incredible uh, experience um, last several weeks, and then this week, great, great material that was helpful. Um, we are shifting to a new series here um, as we're leading in to the Easter season. More you'll see as we get into the text on that uh, in a moment. We're calling it Unfinished Business. What, what does it look like as we lead up to that day? to celebrate the day where Jesus said on the cross it's finished and the empty tomb and all that that implies? Uh, what does it look like to prepare our hearts and our minds to live that out, to appreciate and receive the gift of that season as much as possible? We'll talk more about that in a moment. I just want to start by diving into this classic text. If you have your Bibles or your devices that you read on, uh, we're going to be reading the word of the Lord in Ezekiel chapter 37. Understand, by the way, where this comes in the story of Ezekiel's prophecy. If you picture it this way, Ezekiel was given as a prophet to speak to the people of God in one of the darkest seasons of their lives and their history, really. Uh, you, you might know this about the Old Testament. There is a period of time when Israel rebels so significantly and consistently that God brings them into this time that I call the extended time out spiritually. Right? So God in his love wants to discipline his children and they have rebelled and he says, I'm not giving up on you, but I'm going to put you in time out for a while. You're going to be taken captive by a foreign power. And the northern part of the people of Israel have already fallen. And then this story, Ezekiel is prophesying to the southern tribes, to Judah and, and Jerusalem. In fact, just a few chapters before this very moment, in the middle of the book, Ezekiel receives the word and speaks in a prophetic word to the Jerusalem city has fallen. The capital city has fallen. 
in that time. So picture this, these words, and it's incredible. I want you to kind of picture it as we read it. This incredibly powerful prophecy is given in one of the darkest moments in the lives of the people of God. So let's read the word of the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. Again, helps to picture. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought, he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and behold, I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Behold, those bones were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones. And say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Behold, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach attendants to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise and behold, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and behold, tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Behold, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, and I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the things in life that annoy me most are the things, it's, it's something that I call the, uh, the, the aggravation of the unfinished. Have you experienced this in some areas of your life? It's annoy you to have something that you've been working on and you, you just can't land it, you can't finish it, can't complete it. I thank the, back, the, be, I thank the Beckys of our, of our staff because we, we were talking this week and it kind of gave me the idea for the introduction of this. This is a picture of a puzzle that we did before we moved here, it was several years before, some of my best friends and closest friends that we worked on staff together, we had a, a retreat and we were going to do some visioning and all that, but had some time for fun as well. And, and I told them, they brought some things to do, and I told them, as far as I know, I've never done a puzzle in my life. I mean, I've done the little ones, but you know, I've never completed a puzzle. I don't have the patience, I'll be honest, I don't have the patience to do that. 
uh, is not something we did growing up. And so they had this going on. I didn't do a whole lot, but I did some. And, and we had this on the table. And over the course of time, you know, the weekend, we, we did this. It's a, it's a puzzle of the uh, national parks. Now, here's what annoyed me the most. We got to the end. You, you can look closely. You can't quite see it. But there is one piece missing. It was in the box, and, and we looked around for it. We couldn't find it. And I'm just telling you, other people laughed at it. It was driving me nuts. <laughs> in fact, my friend Gary, who knows me well, said, Dean, at this point, if I found it, I would hide it from you just to work on your perfectionism. They, Thank you very much. <laughs> just annoys me. It reminds me of a story I know I've told some of you before, but of the great composer Mozart. Have you heard this before? He was not only a great visionary and creative genius, but he was also quite a prankster. And when he was growing up, it was, it was essentially his high school years, he loved to play pranks on his father. And one of the things he did, his father, who was also a musician, is as they were going to bed, they go to bed and Mozart would go down to the piano and he would play the notes of the scale and then he would stop before the last one. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la. And he would stop. And he would play very slowly, very intentionally, very loudly. And then he would stop. And he'd go to bed. And his father is sitting there and is a musician. He's sitting there and he's trying to sleep. He's trying to sleep. His dad would have to get up, go down to the piano, play the last note, and then go to bed. <laughs> there is something in human nature that just hates unfinished business. There's something wired inside of us that just longs for things to be completed as they were intended to be. And I think of how fitting this is leading into our Easter season to think about this. Because the entire academic year, really, we've been talking one way or another about the cosmic plan and purpose of God to renew and to restore all things in God's creation. And we think about this, everything from the book of Exodus all the way to the book of Ephesians has kept calling us back to that vision. And here's the thing. One of the things that gives me great hope in, in the story that we tell and that we announce about God's work is because even if someone is an atheist and a complete unbeliever, there is something inside of their heart that looks out at the world and cries out, this is unfinished business. The world is not now what it was intended to be, and you don't even have to believe in God to know that. So I think it's helpful for us as we're leading up to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus and the declaration of God bringing life in the face of death for us to think about a little bit, what do we do when we look around at the world and we notice that the world in all sorts of places and ways, outside and inside, represents this unfinished business? I think this text speaks right into that. Again, they're in the middle of the exile and they're looking around at the pain of all the things that have gone before. And it's a great story of the leading of God. But if you notice with me, what's strange about this is God leads in some pretty strange places. And it's not just true in the story, it's true in our lives, isn't it? God often will lead us into the strangest places to experience God's presence and his purpose and his will. Now, if you read the story at the beginning, it sounds great, doesn't it? Here's the way it starts in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me. How beautiful would it be to kind of, kind of sense the presence of God on the strong part of your back leading you into the places that you want to go? Second thing it says is that the Spirit of the Lord brought me. It literally says the Spirit of the Lord carried me and set me down in the valley. Isn't that great? It sounds wonderful until you realize where the valley is. <laughs> 
hand of the Lord's on him, the spirit of the Lord's carrying him, carries him to a bed full of bones in this valley. Read it a couple times. Go back and read the beginning of those first verses a couple times. And I wonder if what will happen to me happens to you. I hear in it another language earlier in, elsewhere in Scripture that speaks of the leading of God in comforting situations. We hear it time and time again, but only here it's kind of a twist to it. Right? Does this sound familiar? What we read time and time again in times of death or struggle, we will often read about God's leading in Psalm 23. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And God leads in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Isn't that great? The great shepherding leading of God. You have all of that here, only it's kind of the upside down Psalm 23. <laughs> God is leading, but not making them lie down. He's making them walk back and forth. And he leads them not to green pastures or quiet waters, but to a bed full of bones. And then you get to that place in Psalm 23. Remember one of the most powerful images of Psalm 23. It says, even though I walk through, literally it says, the darkest valley, or we will translate sometimes the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, that's a beautiful promise. But in this story, God isn't just with them in the dark valley. He led them there. Do you see the difference? I wonder if we think about this as we go into this season, we recognize that sometimes the most important leading of God is not out of struggle. It may be into it. Sometimes the most important leading of God in our life is not freedom from pain and discipline and wrestling. It is actually into that. Now hear me, that doesn't mean God is inflicting pain upon us. It just means God will lead us in and through those dark places and times. I think this passage is incredibly appropriate for where we find ourselves in the Christian rhythm of time. I suspect most of you know that for century after century after century, followers of Jesus have viewed the weeks leading up to Easter as a great time to remember and actually to kind of practice one of the central stories of Jesus' life. You've heard this before. You know how Jesus begins his ministry? Well, he's baptized, and listen how similar it sounds to the situation here. He's baptized, and the Spirit of the Lord comes on Jesus to begin his ministry. And Jesus doesn't begin his ministry by going out and immediately preaching and healing and all of that. How does Jesus begin his ministry when the Spirit of the Lord is on him? He goes where? You can talk to me. Where? To the desert or the wilderness. And he doesn't just kind of wander there. It says the Spirit of the Lord was on him, and the Spirit led him into the dark valley. To be tempted and to be tested and to fast and to pray and to let go of things and to grow. And for centuries, people who follow Jesus said, maybe that's a great attitude for us to be thinking about as we lead up to the celebration of Easter. And so these stories come together reminding us that God will lead us, but God doesn't always lead us first to the banquet. Sometimes, as here, he leads us to the aftermath of the battlefield. God doesn't lead us first to the celebration moment. Sometimes he leads us, as here, to a place that feels like a cemetery. God leads us. He led Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised he leads us as well to some pretty strange places. Now, what does God invite us to do in those places? 
Well, notice the language here. I'm going to start with a very strong Bible word. It's a very important Bible word. But he says, when you get to the valley, what do you do? You behold the world around you. And I would say inside of you, he's doing that. Behold. By the way, you may not find it in most of your translations. I literally wrote it in to the NIV here, the only modern translation I know that has that actually translates this word because it flows better without it, is the ESV. But did you know seven times in 14 verses is this command of God to behold, to look, to search, to discover, to pay attention to what is around you. Behold the world. And I would say as you look it out, you will see, behold the world around you and behold the world inside of you. God will do both of those for Ezekiel. In fact, the language literally is this. Just take this in for a moment. God says, behold the bones. (laughs) Verse 2 puts it this way. This is literally the way uh, the story starts. Behold bones. And there were very many. And behold, twice in one verse, behold, they were very dry. Behold, there were very many. Behold, they were very dry. God says, I want you to take in the full experience of the brokenness and the death and the pain of the circumstances of my people right now. Did you know that there are times in our lives, there are seasons in our lives where it is really healthy for us to just slow down, stop, and take in pain, suffering, and brokenness? It might be in your own life. It might be for the sake of someone else. Don't rush past it. In our therapeutic culture, good in a lot of ways, but sometimes we want to medicate everything and we want to rush past it. We want to mute it. Sometimes God says, I want to lead you into struggle and not away from it for a season and for a time. Behold the bones. By the way, this is not the only place in Scripture where we invited to come in and sit in it for a moment. One of the earlier times that I preached on this passage, I would preach out of the book of Lamentations, if you want to look at that, there's an entire book where they behold the destruction of Jerusalem. As I was studying it this week, I'm, I'm just thinking about Nehemiah. I'm thinking of the aftermath of this a little bit more. You know, Nehemiah was called by God out of exile to go and start rebuilding. His particular job was to rebuild the wall so there was a safe place to build community. And you know, when Nehemiah went, the first thing he did was not grab tools and hammers and chisels and rocks and start doing the work. That's not the first thing he did. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 15, says this. He got on a horse, and he's speaking first person. I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. And as he testified to the people around, the other leaders that came with him, he said, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. He spends the whole night on horseback going around the broken places of the wall, seeing the devastation of the city of Jerusalem. And only after that does he come back to them and say, come now, let us rebuild. What propels us into our calling and our purpose sometimes is spending time sitting in the brokenness and the pain and the hurt of the world around us or inside of us. It's not just in the Old Testament. Do you know Jesus does this as well? In one of the most mysterious, tucked in the middle of the story verses that I've ever heard. Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus is coming in at the time that we're all about to celebrate. He's about to go in the week 
of what we call Passion Week. And he's about to go and give his life. And he's entering Jerusalem for what will be the last time in his earthly ministry. And what does Jesus do when he comes into Jerusalem? Does he start preaching? Does he start healing? Does he start symbolically acting things out? No, he will do that the next day. But do you know what it says first? Mark 11, verse 11. Notice this. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. And because it was night, he went home. What? Mark just drops that in the middle of the story. The very next day, he gets up and cleanses the temple, and he starts enacting symbolic works of the kingdom of God. But before he did any of that, he beheld the bones of the temple that he was about to undo. Is that powerful? There are important times and seasons of our lives where God says, before you rush to fix anything or do anything, I just want you to sit in the hurt and the struggle and the pain. It might be yours. It might be somebody else's. By the way, there's two different forms the valleys might take in our lives. There are valleys that are inflicted upon us, right, by the circumstances of our lives. There are times we encounter things that are completely outside of our control and they are inflicted upon us and we go through that. And then there are other times the valleys are what they were for Israel at this moment. They are self-inflicted, right? Because of the choices we have made and the failures that we have done and the sins that we have committed. And God in his love and compassion will still work with us and go through things with us, but our choices have consequences and it hurts sometimes. Sometimes our valleys are self-inflicted. So again, think about this. What a great practice. Instead of just rushing to Easter when we celebrate the promise of God's life, what if we do what followers of Jesus have been doing for a long time? And just, here's just a thought. Ask two questions. If you take notes, I would jot them down. If you have Apple notes, I would put them down here. Just an invitation from the Holy Spirit. First is ask this question for yourself. Say, Holy Spirit, if you're in Christ, you're saved. You don't have to worry about that. But say, God, is there any death in me that you want me to be aware of? Are there any bones inside my heart, in my life, that you want to reveal and I need to give to your gracious eyes? Just ask that question now and in the weeks ahead. What if we did that? Second, here's the thing. What if we also ask the question, God, is there any pain or struggle in the world that you care deeply about that you want me to care more about? Isn't that a great question to ask? Just think about that for a moment. Is there, any care, is there any pain or struggle in the world that you care about, God, and you want me, I'm just ignoring it, and you want me to pay more attention to it? Now, we can't care about everything all the time, but I do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit of God to say, I'm going to invite you to care a little bit bigger than you did before, a little bit more than you did before. I was thinking about this part of it. It was actually inspired by the great theologian Colin Coward. Some of you don't know who this is. He's my favorite sports commentator. And he was reflecting on a kind of the season that we're in where all the divas of sports, uh, NFL, are, are kind of demanding money and high contracts and all that stuff. And I won't, talk, I won't say the name of the person he was talking about, Aaron Rodgers. Um, <laughs> Sorry, he's inflicted so much in pain on us, hasn't he? So, but he was, he was talking about this, and, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I told this to Melanie. He said this about a week ago. I said, this is the single most um, significant spiritual insight that I have heard in the last several months, and it came from a sports commentator. This is what he said. He's talking specifically to these guys in sports, but it's true for any gender. But he said, you are not truly a man. You don't know. You are not mature until you care about someone or something more than yourself. 
What a good word. You want to know when you mature and you grow up, what's the rite of passage? You know that you have begun to mature deeply as a human being when you care about someone or something more than yourself. Great insight. And what if in this season of our lives, we, are, we, we ask the Holy Spirit of God, slow me down, open my eyes, let me behold the bones around me and in this world, help me care about something more than just my own self. Powerful invitation, is it not? By the way, quick, quick thought on this before we, we, we get out of this movement. Understand when God invites us into these seasons of, of kind of sitting in and taking in the struggle. Hear me. It often doesn't go as quickly as we would like, right? Did you notice this in verse 2? It doesn't just say, I'm going to take you into this valley. It says, the hand of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord is on me. Set me down in a valley. And it says... He walked me back and forth, back and forth through the valley. One translation says, round and round, time and time again. He didn't rush the beholding and taking in of the bones and the destruction and the pain of the world. Sometimes the most important leading that God is giving in our lives is just to sit in it and stay there for a moment and walk in there, trusting that God didn't just show up in there. He's actually leading us to that place. Again, not inflicting it upon us, but God is showing up in that moment. And that metaphor of walking with the Lord through the struggle is so incredibly important. Every church that I've ever been a part of, I've shared the great wisdom of one of the father figures in my life. And he told me about a difficult season in their family their marriage failed, his young marriage failed. It's a mess and it's broken and sometimes that happens. And he was talking about how he walked literally with his son through the pain of the divorce. And he said, I learned something, Dean, pretty early on. I realized that most of the time, if I'm going to really connect to my son and kind of walk with him through this, we're not going to sit down face to face over coffee or eggs or something and talk about it. He's not going to work that way. So he said, I started doing this thing where we would just go out and walk together. And somehow walking side by side through the neighborhood, he would slowly feel comfortable talking and opening up. And little by little, week after week, Month after month, even year after year, in those walks with his son, little by little, God began healing his son's heart. What brilliance of a father to recognize the first thing to do in a time like that is not to try to fix anything, but to walk with his child through the pain and the hurt. God says, behold the bones as I walk with you through it. God doesn't just say, I want you to walk and look. Are you ready for straight? I love Ezekiel because it's weird. <laughs> this is what he says. I want you to speak to the bone. Speak to the bones. What? Literally, it says prophesy to the bone. Preach to the bones. What in the world is this? And if you pay attention to the language of what's going on in this section of the book, it, it steps into creation language where the Holy Spirit of God is there hovering verse 2 of the Bible over the waters of chaos and God speaks and prophesies you could say into the chaos of the world and the world comes into order and it comes back together comes together as it was intended to be and he reproduces this and in this moment, part of what he's invited to do, Ezekiel, who is not just a prophet here, he's also representing the people of God, right? 
You know, he's, he's called more often than not in the book, Ben Adam, son of Adam, son of man, son of man. He isn't just Ezekiel. He's representing all of humanity who go through valley times. But he's saying, what I need you to do is to speak a word of hope into the middle of the death and the hopeless situation. Speak a word of hope. Speak the promise of God's hope in the middle of nowhere. What's the central promise of this text that you see? It's something we're leading up to celebrate. The central promise of this text is in the hands of our God, nothing dead needs to stay dead. And there was a power in him just speaking those words into the face of the hopelessness. By the way, one of the things I love is the absurdity of the text. You know, sometimes that's a rhetorical effect that the prophets will have and the Holy Spirit of God will have. You notice what's absurd about this? The place and the purpose. How crazy it is. What's the crazy place? He is preaching like resurrection life. Where? In a cemetery. Can you imagine this? Go do this for fun sometimes. No human being that's alive is there. Go into this cemetery and start preaching John 11. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. Anybody who believes in me will live even though they die. Just preach that really loud in the middle of a cemetery. How absurd is that? He's preaching to piles of bones. The other thing I think is comfortingly absurd is the person who's proclaiming it. Do you notice the one who is proclaiming the promise of God's life doesn't even totally know if he believes it himself? Did you catch that in verse 3? Because remember, God isn't just getting him to look at the world. I think God very gently is getting him to look at himself. And he says to Ezekiel, stand, behold the bones. And then he asks him a question. Can these bones live? Did Ezekiel say, you better believe it. You can do anything you created the world. Is that what he said? He said, you know. That was his way of dodging it, right? I don't know. He can't quite believe it himself. It reminds me of John chapter 11, that verse I quoted. That comes from an encounter with a lady named Martha after her brother had died. And Jesus shows up and Mary won't even come out. Go read the story closely. We super spiritualize it. I think Mary's mad. Because the story makes very clear. Jesus let him die. And Martha comes up and says what Mary wanted to say. And I I suspect there was a little little venom in her voice when she said it. Martha comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said those words. I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And he asked her, do you believe this? Go read the story. It's an Ezekiel moment. Do you know what she says? I believe that you're the Christ of God. Great Bible answer. Totally dodged the question. She doesn't, she believed he could have healed him. But I don't think she believes yet that he is who he said he was, the resurrection of the life. And isn't it amazing that God invites people who don't even fully get it to be the ones that are proclaiming the hope. That means we all get to play. Isn't that cool? Last image of this is the Great Commission. If you think about the mission of our church to help people find hope and live with purpose, and we said the purpose is not just some amorphous thing out there. It is the purpose of the Great Commission, to make disciples who make disciples. Who was it that Jesus invited to live out the Great Commission? We start in verse 18 that Jesus says, you know, go and all authority has been given to me and go and, and make disciples. But verse 17 says this. The people that were gathered around Jesus, they worshipped him and, I quote, some doubted. Guess who he called to be his commissioners of the Great Commission? Some doubting worshipers. 
And that's what we all are. And isn't it great that God calls doubting worshipers to speak words of hope into hopeless situations? Don't ever underestimate the power of praying and reciting the promises of God. Now understand, this is really important pastoral note. Don't come drop Bible verses on people that are hurting. Don't go quote Romans and all things work for the good. That's not what I'm talking about. You live in the behold the bones season for a long time. But I do believe the Spirit of God will invite us in ways to speak the audacious promise of God into hopeless situations. Sometimes we don't even speak it to them. We speak it in prayer. Pray and recite and live in the promise of God in crazy situations and see what happens. Prophesy. Speak to the bones. What situation in your life and in the world do you look around and say, there's no way. Can these bones live? I have no idea. Prophesy to it. Speak to it. Pray to it. Call out the promises of God into it, not in some name it or claim it way. Live in that place and see what the Spirit of God might do. Because there's something happens. Did you notice it? As Ezekiel is speaking and preaching words, he doesn't even know if he believes himself. Hear me. He heard hope before he saw it. Did you catch that? He heard hope. Because this is what it said. He's prophesying. He's speaking the promise of God to bring life. And it said, behold, a rattling sound. And bone got connected to bone. And bone got connected to bone. And bone got connected to bone. And as I say that, by the way, does that sound familiar to anybody? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Foot bone connected to the shin bone, shin bone connected to the... It's kind of silly, isn't it? It's like a little childhood song that teaches us basic anatomy. Did you know it was not a children's song originally? Did you know this? If you ever hear that song again, if everybody teaches it again, do you know where it came from? This passage. It was not a child song first. It was a song from the African-American community before civil rights had even begun to take root. And before it was sung in schoolhouses, it was sung in cotton fields and tobacco fields, and in old sweaty churches in the south. And hear me, they heard hope before they saw it. And that's what we get to do as the people of God. To be used by the Spirit of God. To sing a song of hope into the darkness of the world so that people might hear it before they see it. Speak, prophesy, Pray the promise of God in crazy, hopeless situations and see what he might do. Because you know it's not about us. It certainly wasn't about Ezekiel. He wasn't super prophet. He didn't believe it himself. The last thing it says is crazy, crazy, right? You don't just speak to the bones. You speak to the breath, it said. Prophesy to the breath. And anybody who's read their Old Testament, maybe you've heard this before. The word breath is the word ruach. And it is the very Spirit of God. It comes in verse 2 of the Bible. The Spirit of God hovered over the Ruach, the breath of God, hovered over the waters. God took dirt and breathed into that dirt, the Ruach, the Spirit of life. And man became a living being. The same God who created the world stands ready through, believe it or not, you, to breathe life into the stuff that needs to be recreated as well. Isn't that staggering? The whole passage ends with a movement from deep darkness to triumphal hope. 
Because it started in the Valley of Dry Bones, but it ends with this. He says, I'm doing all of this so that you might know experientially that I am the Lord. And listen to this language. It's so powerful. So that you might know that I have done it. By the way, they're still in exile. But God says, when it is my promise, it is as good as done. We have the same language in another psalm. A week or two, we're going to be thinking about this when Jesus said these words on the cross. Do you remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't talking off the top of his head. He was quoting the beginning of Psalm 22, which started in darkness. But guess what the last verse of that psalm is? Do you know what it is? It turns from deep, dark despair and predictions of the cross to the end where he says, but God, you're going to work in such a powerful way that I will proclaim your name to the generations and they will all hear. You know what the last words of Psalm 22 are? He has done it. That's the glory. We get to sit in the darkness and behold the bones and prophesy to the bones. But it is only when the breath of God comes in and the, everything comes together and he will triumphantly say he has done it. And we get to sit in people's pain, but we also get to call out that hope that is so strong even before it happens. We know it will. Family who's taught me this more than anybody else. It's my friend, the Osmonds. I've talked some about their story before, but never about this moment. It's powerful moments of my life. It was a funeral. And how this family modeled the entire movement of this passage and the psalm I just talked about in one funeral service. Because they testified and they shared with us, and we really worshiped in many ways, through the darkest season of their lives. It started this way. Ty, too, the young man there. It's in our small group, and we grew up with them. Our children grew up with them as well, and he was such a great model. He was traveling out of state, actually in the state of Texas. 18 years old, got out of the car to help somebody, and another car, a drunk driver, kicked, hit him and killed him. 18 years old. His last dying act was an act of service and love, which is that family. Now they'll tell you they're not perfect, but man, they're givers. If that weren't enough, a few years later, Ty Sr. was out fishing, had a terrible accident, and he drowned. What do you do in a funeral service when all the men in that family are gone? They're with Jesus. We celebrate that. But what do we do right now? I'm telling you, I'd never seen this happen before, but the daughters led us in the experience of, they, they weren't referring to this text, but Adair, they Daughter on the left, she got up first, and this is what I would say. She helped us behold the bones because she spoke for a minute, and she said, now here's what I'm going to do. We're going to talk about all the hope, and we're going to celebrate it, but first we're going to yell. It's powerful. She said, we just need, yeah, I can't remember exactly how she said it, but there's certain things in this world that aren't right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So would you yell with me? And the entire place yelled. We were in the amphitheater. You've heard of Dave Ramsey before. Ty, big Ty, built his new campus, and we're sitting in the amphitheater that Ty built at Dave Ramsey's place and that entire amphitheater just yelled behold the bones and then Kendall she's older now Kendall the other daughter got up and I'm telling you guys I don't remember words she said but I remember everything she said you know what I mean because she testified she testified about the moment that they lost 
Cacti, to all the way to this moment and the anticipation of the future, she testified to God's hope and to God's life and to God's hope and to God's life. And she testified so powerfully by the end, I'm telling you, it was as if he'd already done it. We marched out of that place like an army of God bringing hope to the world. In fact, they commissioned us to hope on the way out the door. I was so generous. And so that amphitheater full of people, when we walked out, everybody was given an envelope, and inside that envelope, every single person, and it was a big place, every single person got $20, and they were commissioned to go and to proclaim hope to somebody that needed it with those $20. That is the spirit of the resurrected Christ. And we are invited in this season to do more than buy dresses and chocolate, folks. We are invited to step in to the unfinished business of the world. To care enough to sit there and to feel it and to know it. And then have the audacity to testify to the hope that the breath of God can take anything that is dead and make it come to life again. Father God, we celebrate Oh, we celebrate you for you are present with us in the most broken and painful and sinful and ugly places of our lives in this world. You sit with us there. And then, Father, as you continue to redeem us, you lead us back there to to capture other people and to hold on to them and walk with them as well. But, God, you don't leave death as the end of the story ever. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, not only for creating this world, but recreating it. So we ask in this season, as we lead up to celebrate your resurrection, Jesus, recreate us again to be people of hope in this broken world. In the glorious name and for the purpose of the glory of the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing.